0: Welcome to the Point is to Serve podcast. We want to encourage you towards a vibrant and active faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. President of Sioux Falls College, and said, We just lost our campus pastor. Would you be interested in applying? And I actually said, uh, Why? Well, in my head, I said, No. I like what I'm doing. Why would I change? And. Uh, so I went through the interview process, and that's not how you're supposed to do that. Don't ever do interview uh, like I did. Uh, I really didn't care. I, I I cared. I loved Sioux Falls College, but uh, I didn't want to leave what I was doing, which sounds weird. I know. Like, who wants to work? At, but I, I loved what I was doing at the penitentiary. I learned about grace there, and I learned about how God is the God of second chances, and, and uh, it changed my life. And I thought, well, I'm just going to stay here, and then this crazy— uh, it's push in the back of my, it just kept pushing me. And uh, door opened. Uh, they offered me the job, and uh, 33 years ago started and uh, and uh, said I'm going to try it for a couple years. And uh, <laughs> one thing led to another. And I'm planning to retire in a year uh, at the end of this coming school year. Those of you who know Dr. Higgle at U.S.F. John and I are both going out. Uh, and maybe we'll go to adjunct. Who knows? I, I've, I've learned the worst thing you can do is just try to plan your life. Uh, it, at least for me, it never works the way I planned. And I'm so thankful because uh, I never thought, never thought I would uh, be in higher ed, especially after almost funky out of USD uh, as a college student. So 50 years ago, uh, uh, I had this awakening uh, when I was uh, had wasted a year and a half, nearly two years of college. I didn't go to college; I just paid tuition for a couple of years, and and you know, life kind of catches your attention when you're driving drunk and you have uh, you see the flashing lights in your rearview mirror, and you know you're in big trouble. Uh, fortunately, it was a small town cop in Springfield, and they let me go. He shouldn't have, uh, but that was my come to Jesus moment 50 years ago last March, and it started this journey that I never, never thought would go the way it has. Uh, God is good, and God has been faithful as we've been singing these, these beautiful songs this morning. Um, and so you start out, you grow in church, but you, don't, you grow up in church, don't pay attention. If anybody ever heard of Scotland, South Dakota? That's where I grew up. Uh, you know, I grew up going to church, but never really, really uh, got into it. And then I had my come-to-Jesus moment 50 years ago in March of 73, and they handed me a Bible, and, and like, well, at the day, if, if you know in the, if, if you're old like me, uh, there was a translation called the New American Standard Bible, which is what uh, everybody was using that. That was before the NIV, that was before the ESV, that was before the NRSV. And if you don't know any of those, uh, that's okay. They're just different translations of the Bible. Uh, so in my day, kids, when I was old and younger, um, everybody read New American Standard Bible where I went. And so I learned to read the Psalms. Uh, somebody challenged me early in my life, and I think it's a great idea. If you read five psalms a day, you get through the psalms once a month, and so I did that discipline for several years where I would read five psalms a day, and some days were easier than others. If you know about Psalm 119, that takes a little more of a time commitment, Uh, but I did five a day for a number of years, and the rhythm and the phraseology of the psalms started to come alive, and so when Joel asked me to come and speak, which by the way, I'm Honored to be here. It's just great to see so many old friends and and to see this this wonderful congregation. Uh, and I had to go back to the first psalm that jumped out at me. Uh, and I can't explain it other than the wording was weird, a uh, little different. And really, what caught my attention, I'll be quite honest. Okay, I'm a college kid. I'm reading the Bible. I'm a fired up believer. And I see this romantic poster of a guy and a girl. And Psalm 34, three, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So I have to admit my young, youthful, romantic, looking for a wife kind of thing. Uh, you know, it, it, it drew me to that phrase, magnify the Lord. What? That's a strange word, but it, it, it was nice on the poster. And so I started exploring the psalm. So I'm going to invite you to explore that psalm with me. Psalm 34, I'm using this old translation. I don't know if it'll be up on the screen here. Um. But here's the psalm, the first psalm that ever spoke to my soul, uh, and it goes like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and, he, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length the days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and he, his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Now, as you've been working through Psalms, uh, you've probably learned a thing or two about Psalms. Uh, and it's a fascinating uh work of art psalms are uh, not meant to be laser focused they're broad brushstrokes about life and when you think about certain words in the first three verses if if we had time and I invite you to do this on your own read through the psalm again as as we did just before we went to prayer love love that reading of psalm four you have to read through it and see it a couple times but what jumps out at you when you read especially those first verses What caught my eye as a kid was, oh, magnify the Lord with me, you know. Uh, But there's some interesting other phraseology in this thing. I looked at it as as a young, immature uh, college kid reading the Bible. When I read how scholars look at it, one of the things that scholars talk about is this is a brilliant psalm in Hebrew, in the original language. It's an acrostic psalm, which means every verse in the psalm starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so you think of it this way, it would be if we were doing it in a mirror. A, uh, all God's people sing God praises for God is good. B, be faithful to God for God is good. C, uh, cry out to God for God is good. D, uh, do this or God's going to kill you. Okay, no, no, that's, that's, uh, (laughs) it's the acrostic psalm is it artistically takes the alphabet and then weaves it into this work of art. So if you are an expert in Hebrew, which I'm not, you would find this to be a majestic artistic work uh, of art. Uh, very clever way of doing it. And we read it in English and especially in the New American Standard Version which is kind of a clumsy translation. It's not my favorite translation anymore. Um, it gets a little wooden. There's other beautiful words in this expre- song. For example, I will bless the Lord. Uh, interesting Hebrew word there. Bless means to kneel or to bow down in adoration. And the uh, Hebrew word is barak. So for all the Democrats in the room here, you have, you, you have a, a favorite president that was uh, named after the, in this song. But, but to barak, uh, to barak. Like a wise man, when they came to see the baby Jesus in Matthew, they baraked. They bowed down and adored. I will bow down and adore the Lord, uh, for, he, for uh, his praise shall continually be my, in my mouth. Uh, my soul shall boast in the Lord. Interesting. Uh, way to look at that then then listen to the parallel to that let the humble hear in the lap and be glad this idea of of having to humble ourselves before god uh, kneeling before god humbling ourselves before god and then magnifying god the hebrew word there is the one in which it really means to to glorify it's not a, a magnify you think of a magnifying glass make large make his name large is what it means it's it's clumsy in english it's beautiful in hebrew and then it launches into this beautiful poetry uh, in a very profound way. But it does it in a way that I uh, have to admit sometimes I struggle with. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Uh, yeah, first part, very much. I sought the Lord and he answered me. That night in March of 73 when I had the DUI and I, I, I was I, I, I couldn't even... It, it, uh, I, I turned to God, and he did answer me, and he did care for me, and he has guided me. Somebody once defined grace as God having your back, and that's a great example of, the, of God looking out for us, but delivered me from all my fears? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that one. Quite honestly, uh, it's been a tough couple weeks. Uh, when you watch the news, had to kind of back away from the TV set. Uh, the idea of facing retirement I'm not real excited about retiring, but I know it's time. Uh, but what am I going to do? Play pickleball and drink coffee at hy I don't know. It sounds, it sounds kind of boring. I don't know. You know I'll, I'll, I'm worried about that. I'm, I'm a little fearful. My wife has been trying to call me. When you're married to a counselor, you're constantly getting therapy, whether you want it or not. <laughs> um, I need it, but sometimes I don't always want it. Delivering me from all my fears. Well, what do you see when you read this psalm? Follow along with me, uh, We look to him and were radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Quote that verse to the Christians in Ukraine right now who are fighting for their lives and never knowing when a missile is going to come out of nowhere and kill them. Uh, has God rescued them all? This is a wisdom psalm. It's a genre of the Psalms in which you not only praise God, but you also use aphorisms, generalities that are generally speaking are generally true. But as people of the book, we know that you have to use the whole Bible to interpret any one phrase, and you don't want to isolate a text. You can get in all kinds of trouble when you, especially with the Psalms, take a text, focus on it, and say every promise in the book is mine, I'm going to take this one, this is God's love letter to me, and you forget that you're actually reading somebody else's mail. When you read the Bible, you're reading somebody else's mail that first went to a different audience and then is compiled into this anthology we call the Bible and which has to use the entire Bible to interpret any particular phrase. One of the most, perhaps one of the most misused verses in the Bible is Jeremiah 29.11. Behold, the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and, so, and, uh, and to prosperity, to give you a future and hope. And people love to grab that verse and say, God has scripted my life. No, that's not what that, that Jeremiah 29, 11 is saying. If you look at the historical and grammatical context, you realize God is speaking to the whole nation of Israel. And you realize as you read the context, it's a 70-year plan for the whole nation in exile. So it shouldn't have been there in the first place. However, because they rebelled, their nation was destroyed, and they were taken into exile, and God says, now I'm going to plan B. I'm going to bring you back. It's going to take 70 years, which is basically three generations, and we're going to bring your kids back. And we're going to start over. The plans that God has for us deal with the plans for all God's people, for God's world. And it's not like he scripts your life. It's that as we look at these texts, we realize God is playing the chess master role. We make our move and God makes his move in our lives. And then we make another move and then God has to counter that move. And God is this, because God is God, he has his finger on the pulse of every person on this planet. Think about that. Is working in ways beyond our comprehension. And when we resort it to all just, oh, it's just a simple script. Oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. I've watched a lot of heartache and pain over the last 33 years in young idealistic Christians like myself who put too much on God and don't take enough responsibility for themselves. And I watched them make bad choices And you watch on and and sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. I used to think if you love God, everything kind of fell into place perfectly like this psalm seems to uh, allude to. But when you read the whole Bible, you realize it's more complicated than that. And that's what I want to stress today. Use the Psalms to guide your thinking. Read the Psalms to keep thinking it through. And then understand the Psalms are not the definitive book of the Bible. We have to look at what Jesus is saying. We have to read everything through the eyes of Jesus. And just as Jesus cried out in the garden, My God, my God, on the cross, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the Psalms. And Psalm 22 is a beautiful example, again, of crying out, feeling forsaken. But also, as you look at the rest of Psalm 22, you see God Having the final word, having the triumphant word, and God wins in the end. And Jesus crying out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We sometimes understand Jesus as feeling the wrath of God. Or was it that Jesus is knowing the triumph of God? That even when we feel forsaken, even when our lives are broken and in shambles, the goodness of the Lord comes to us sometimes in ways that we don't comprehend. And just as Jesus needed, We needed the cross of Jesus, so we each need our own moments of crying out, understanding that God will have the final word. The general truth of Psalm 34 is that, in fact, God is good. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Yes, but we're not sure when. I'm reading an old psalm that I knew uh, as a young man using a Bible from one of my best friends in in college. Tom was brilliant. He grew up in South Chicago, was Native American. He uh, was uh, mixed race, living in South Chicago, uh, and came to the college that I transferred to after I gave up on USD or USD gave up on me, and I transferred and started over in a Christian college. One of the first people I met when I got there was Tom Robertson, and he was a brilliant, artistic, intelligent, thoughtful, spiritual man. And um, we became best friends. And we'd walk down the streets of Minneapolis. I'm a South Dakota small farm boy. And people come up, try to sell us drugs. And Tom and I'd say, no, no, we don't want any. And we kept walking. And Tom says, boy, you can tell you're a farm hick. Uh, I was looking, picking up something to fight with. And you were talking to them like they were your neighbors. And, and, and uh, <laughs> we, we, were, we were so different from each other, but we became so close. And then, as it was before you had cell phones and before you had things like that, we drifted away and we lost track of each other. And it wasn't until years later that I realized, when Tom gave me this Bible, when he was packing up and moving on, I didn't realize how um, we would go our separate ways. And his life, as he went back to South Chicago with his broken family, uh, broke him and destroyed him. And the last I heard, as far as we know, Tom committed suicide. Because his family destroyed him. Did the Lord deliver him out of all his fears? Ultimate, yes. The day I get to heaven, I'm going to look for Tom, and I'm going to look forward to being with him. Because sometimes life isn't a nice, tidy little Disney story of all our dreams come true, right? Sometimes the promises of Scripture take an eternity to be made up to us. And if you're going through a hard time today, and if you're struggling with, why isn't my life as nice and good as those other Christian people seem to be having Don't worry in the sense, well, worry, yeah, fret, it's normal, but also fret not, because ultimately God has an eternity to make it up to you. I speak to you today with a sister in a nursing home who's just a few years older than me who is struggling with multiple sclerosis. Her life has been ruined by a a disease that has beat her to the point of where she's in a nursing home. She's been there now for a couple years. For me to run into my sister's nursing home room and just say, uh, oh, it's all going to be just fine, uh, the irony is, is she tells me that because she has her hope set on heaven. The irony of the Christian life, the paradox of the Christian life, is the fact that we don't know exactly how it's going to work out this side of heaven. But that's where faith comes in because we know when we get to heaven... God's gonna well as the old song go go, earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal and Psalm 34 is pointing us to that ultimate hope it's telling us yes someday God will have the final word someday these beautiful things will be true in the meantime the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry you ever have those moments when you just feel like, God, I have nothing else to say, and so you cry? I'll be real candid with you. 20 years ago right now, I found out what it means to have a broken heart. Alone, my wife uh, was on the verge of leaving me. Um, found out later she would marry a coworker of hers, and then it all kind of made sense. But 20 years ago right now, some of you were, knew me back then, I was living in absolute hell. Nobody knew. People suspected. And I was trying like crazy to fix it. And I remember, for the first time in my life, experiencing the broken heart, what that meant, to, to cry in such uh, pain. And I thought, everything is over. When finally my wife did leave me and I offered my resignation to the school because who wants a divorced campus pastor? The school refused to accept my resignation. A little country church south of Lenox had gone through a little split and they said, why don't you come out here and live here and and we'll heal together. And so I went out and was working at USF and living out in this little, what I called my hermitage out there in, uh, in Turner County. And we healed together and went through that journey. And then a year later, everybody started feeling sorry for me. they said, "I got this friend you need to meet and I had you know people trying to set me up and and uh, a year ago last week uh, or nineteen years ago last week, one year after the divorce, which is way too early, but you know, it was and uh Ellen and I met, and we rebuilt our life. both of it had been dumped, and so these two dumpies got together. we met at Barnes and Noble and talked about what it's like and 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 one thing led to another now I have four stepsons and and uh three sons four stepsons seven grandsons and one granddaughter and you can guess who's spoiling that match and 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 uh it just uh, a new life a new life that ellen and i both say should never have been we would have never left our spouse but our spouse left us and so what do you do when you get dumped you cry out to god and god tries to weave things in, tries weaves things and again, does that mean everything's perfect? Does that mean is everything easy? Does that mean everything is wonderful? When living in a, pl- in a perpetual plan B means we're always dealing with the past and the present. And it's an interesting thing because life isn't always what we thought it would be. But now we see things so differently. Oscar Romero once said, there are things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. That is the gospel, that as we weep, God weeps with us. And as we make our, our, our one step at a time, God walks with us. And Psalm 34 is that wonderful assurance that if we just simply strive to do our best to be faithful, God is far more faithful to us than we could ever be to God. And so as I ramble through this psalm today to you, I um, probably shared more than I ought to. Maybe too much information, maybe more than you wanted to know. But this is a psalm that invites us to wrestle with scripture. This isn't God's answer book. Sometimes it's God's question book, where God questions us through the text and says, now looking at that, what does this mean in your life? And how are you going to allow God to come alive? And how are you going to magnify the Lord? How is your faithfulness going to be displayed? I mentioned that Turner County Church that I, used to, that I lived at for two and a half years until I remarried and Ellen and I um, uh, built our, our life together. Driving back out there next week for a funeral for one of the ladies in the church that I got to know, Alice Cooper. Sounds like a rock star, but she wasn't. <laughs> and Alice made the most delicious apple pies and cherry pies you can imagine. And just yesterday, Alice went to be with the Lord two days ago. And I'm going to go out and be a part of that funeral. And I'm thinking about Alice. And her life was making pies and raising a family and always showing up every Sunday at church. Hers was not the life of a great achievement. She didn't accomplish great things from a human perspective. But in the end, she was there. She was there. She was present. And now she's present with the Lord. And now the hard things in her life make sense. And now she has an eternity to enjoy The goodness of God. That's how you magnify the Lord. Not in perfection, not by doing everything right, not by being a superstar, not by being overly uh, a, a spiritual giant. You just simply strive to learn how to become more compliant. And maybe you try to be more creative in the process. And so when I look at this psalm, I see two things, and I'm done. I see, first of all, the call to be faithful to do what you can to make God's name magnified, make it bigger in the world. But it's also a call to creative, creativity, to strive to be uh, creative in your own way, to write your own kind of psalm, to be your own kind of person and uh, in Christ. And so USF kids know I'm the world's worst rapper. And, uh, and so because why not? Uh, and so sometimes I take my own versions and try to make them into a psalm. And so you're going to have to bear with me in closing because uh, you need to help me out. So I want you to repeat after me. Oh magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. Again, O oh, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. There are things only seen through eyes that have cried and a heart that's sufficiently humbled. And there's works that you can plan that only can be tried with hands that in the past have fumbled. Because life teaches you, if you swallow your pride, to walk more prudently after you've stumbled. For God's greatest prizes is his grace that arise when we admit that our soul is troubled. So, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. O oh magnify the Lord with me, when I exalt his name together. When I was a young man, I was always a fan of those called the spiritual giant. And now that I'm old, I see the pure gold of a soul that is simply compliant. Because it's not great achievements which we must pursue when we ponder the things that God calls us to do. For when we are called to our home up above, the legacy we leave should be faith, hope, and love. So magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Because it's not just about getting you into heaven, but getting heaven into you. You don't just perform, you get transformed when by the Spirit you're born anew. For God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done, we need the Holy Spirit shove, because then when you're called to your home up above, the legacy you leave will be faith, hope, and love. So magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. Oh magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. Now it's just about time to leave this place, but I'm going to leave you with one last dare. The world will never care about how much you know until they know how much you care. So go in peace and serve the Lord and be empowered from above. So at the end of each day, those around you will say that what they saw in you is faith, hope, and love. Thanks for tuning in to the Point is to Serve podcast. For more information about pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ or information about the Point is to Serve ministry, please visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Thank you, and may God bless you.